All things are possible with him. There's nothing we can't do through him. There's not a whole lot we can do of ourselves. But with his power in our life, look out, Satan. Look out, world. Here comes the Lord. That's right. Well, if you're a guest today, again, we want to welcome you to our service. Thank you so much for taking some of your weekend time to be with us. And, uh, and if you're a guest, understand that we're kind of doing something special this month. We're doing a 30-day experience that coincides with the History Channel's viewing of the miniseries, The Bible. How many of you have been watching it? Now, for those of you who are longtime Bible students, you know that there's a lot of creative license being taken in these stories. And there's some inaccuracies, but still God is using it in amazing ways. He really is. It continues to be a high-rated show on TV, and I, I thrill with new stories every week. Folks saying, you know, that, that uh, they're at work and their co-workers are watching it, and they come into work and they start talking about the episodes and they're asking questions about what happened. Uh, a guy came up to me uh, the other night and he said, you know, i got to tell you, Pastor, he said, my son who wants nothing to do with church, this past week, sat down and watched the Bible with me and asked me questions about God and about, about the Bible. And he says, it was amazing, the breakthrough. I've had so many of you come up and say, you know, Pastor, I, now when I watch this, the episodes, I've got my Bible open and I'm following along here, making sure they're, and that is amazing. See, that's exactly what we hope would happen that people would reconnect with God and reconnect with God's word. And so, you know, God said that my word will not return void. And it doesn't matter what the entertainment business does with it. God's word will triumph in our hearts and our lives and for all eternity. Now today, Jesus, in the episodes this week, is going to take us on a journey from religion to relationship. Passover is the biggest Jewish festival of the year. Thousands come to Jerusalem to thank God for releasing their ancestors from Egyptian slavery. Jesus' entrance creates a story. The prophet Zechariah predicted that a new king of the Jews would enter the city on a donkey. Is he now? He's just entered the city on a donkey. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey. 
Where is he headed? Towards the temple. This agitator from Galilee, he's in trouble. The crowds, how are they responding? Hmm? And the Romans, have they made any move yet? No. Well, so far. He must not interfere with Passover. God will bring his wrath down upon all of us. And who knows what Pilate will do if the crowds run out of control. Nicodemus, go with Malchus. If he enters the temple, watch him. Do not blink. I need to know everything. Come. is the holiest place in the Bible. During festival times, selling sacrificial animals and changing money has become a thriving business. written my house 
My house shall be called the house of prayer. But you, you have made it a den of thieves. Who are you to tell us this? We teach the law, not you. You pray lofty prayers and love your shows of piety in the temple. Hypocrites. You cannot serve God and money. Last week's episodes ended with Jesus beginning his earthly ministry, calling his first disciple, Peter. I'm sure the episodes tonight and Monday and Wednesday night are going to chronicle the ministry and the life of Jesus and his miracles and will culminate with the scene that we watch this morning, his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem on what we call today Palm Sunday. Jesus' entire life His entire ministry while on earth was a quest to take the entire world on a journey from religion to relationship. See, the world of Jesus' day didn't lack religion. There was plenty of religion. There was plenty of worship. There was plenty of sacrifice going on. There was all kinds of ritualism. But the people's hearts were far, far away from God. Even the religious leaders But Jesus' quest was to change the world, and indeed he did, and to bring the world from religion to relationship. But as we commemorate this week, this Passion Week, Jesus himself had to take a journey from rapture to rejection, from entering that that city with people waving palm branches and, and taking their garments off and laying it before his path, which were all symbolic, by the way, of paying homage to a king, to royalty. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were crying out, save us, save us now. See, they were expecting he was going to come and establish an earthly kingdom that he was going to overthrow the leadership of that that evil king of Israel who Rome had put in the place, and that he was going to kick Rome out of Israel and catapult Israel to international prominence. They didn't understand that Jesus had not come for that purpose, that he had come to lead the world on a journey from religion to relationship. But it was going to be a costly journey to him. It's no surprise The Old Testament prophet Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, predicted in Isaiah 53, 3, an Old Testament manuscript, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Speaking of the coming Messiah, and he said, when he gets here, he's not going to be received in glory. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be despised. 
He's going to become like one that people don't want to associate. You don't want him to know that he's a member of your family. You don't want to know that you were a friend. And that's why Peter, on the night of his betrayal, denied him three times. I never knew this man. Jesus himself experienced rejection. Can you wrap your mind around that? Can you really contemplate that Jesus was rejected? Jesus, the Son of God who left heaven, came down to earth, who for 33 years, in the last three years of his life especially, had only brought healing and hope and encouragement and new direction and guidance, and who restored the idea of God's presence among man. And don't you know the tens of thousands that he healed were who, on Palm Sunday, waving palms and screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, in rapture. With some of the same who five days later were screaming with rage in their voice and their faces, crucify him. Jesus rejected. Now we could go a lot of different directions with this today. But since we're on a journey from religion to relationship, I want to get real intimate with us today. Hebrews, a New Testament manuscript, in chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Speaking of Jesus. In other words, we don't have this disconnected God. We don't have this disconnected Savior who really can't identify with our experience because he never lived it. In fact, the opposite is true. We have a high priest. We have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who can identify with every weakness, with every trial, with every temptation that we ever had because he experienced every single one of them. And that's important because we live in a world of rejection. And we can understand that when when God looks at the pain that we experience because of events and episodes of rejection in our lives that he's not disassociated with, that he's not disconnected, but that Jesus understands exactly how we feel because he was dramatically rejected. So many of us in here today and all of us to one degree or another have felt the sting of rejection. For some, it started early on in the school years when, when they'd get out in the playground and, and the gym teacher would, would, would choose two captains and, and everyone would stand in a line and they'd say, I pick you and I pick you and I pick you and I pick you and right on down the line. A man last night after the service came and told me, he said, he said, I was the kid at the end of the line. He said, every day I dreaded going to school because I knew I was going to be the last one picked. No one wanted me on their team. We've all experienced rejection in love and broke up with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, got turned down. Some of you here today have experienced rejection in marriage. Your spouse rejected you, your spouse left you, got out of the marriage. Found somebody else or for whatever reason abandoned you. Many of you here today have been unemployed and you're out trying to find a job and you've experienced rejection after rejection after rejection. There's a hundred, there's a thousand different scenarios. And for some here today, from your vantage point, from your view, your life has been characterized by rejection after rejection after rejection. 
It doesn't take a lot of rejection to start doing damage to us. Two psychology professors, Gene Twinge from San Diego State University and, and, and Roy Baumeister from Florida State, conducted an experiment. And, and over a period of time, they gathered groups of students together, and they just had them to so, socialize, to mix for 15 minutes, that's all. 15 minutes, just get in the room, talk, get to meet some new people. And after the 15 minutes were done, they took them one by one, and they asked them, okay, now who in that group that you met would you like to be paired up with to work on some future project here at the university? Now, understand, whatever the responses were, they were thrown out. And then randomly, the professors assigned two groups. One group was those who were allegedly accepted by the other group and those who were rejected by the other group. To the ones who were allegedly accepted, again, just by random, they were told, you know, you, you were really popular. But almost everyone said they wanted to work on a project with you someday. And to the ones who were rejected, they said, well, the group's just not into you. And immediately, after 15-minute exposure to a group of people that they never knew before and who would have no impact on their future, they began to see the destructive signs of rejection. They, when they mixed them with another group and say, well, we'll put you in with another group and we'll see how that one goes. They noticed that these folks who had rejected got into the new groups and they were very aggressive towards the other students. They noticed that they had a, a loss of self-restraint after being labeled as one of the rejected. They, they'd put them in a room and they had cookies, a plate of cookies on, on, on the table. And, and they found that the, these people would just start eating these cookies. And one guy even said, I don't even know why I'm eating these stupid cookies. Well, any of us who ever broke up in a relationship and sat in front of the TV with a cord of Ben and Jerry's knows what we were doing, right? Became less social the next time. They weren't as quick to intermingle with other people. They increased sensitivity, neutral words. They became very oversensitive to anything that was said in any body language. They were beginning to, re to see that as rejection. And then both groups, after the experiment was done, went through IQ tests. And the groups that had been told they had been rejected scored lower on the IQ tests than those who said they had been accepted, even though it was all purely random. And the whole thing was over 15 minutes with a bunch of people they'd never known in their life. Well, our lives haven't been characterized by 15 minutes. And our rejection hasn't come just from people who are random. So much of our rejection has come from those we've put our trust in, those we loved, those who we let inside our inner circle and, and who we gave ourselves to and who rejected us and betrayed us and that pain is deep. Why does it hurt so much? Well, it hurts so much because it attacks our very sense of being. It attacks our sense of self-worth. It attacks uh, everything about us and reduces us to, to feeling unloved and unwanted. I remember in preparing the, this message during, during the weeks before, as I just thought about this idea of rejection, about how many of rejection experience popped up in my mind. One of, one of them that popped up first of all was, was one that happened very early in my life. I was like, like eight or nine years old. And some of you may notice that, that I'm a bit pigeon-toed. And, and kids used to make fun of that when I was in school. But I remember one day in my house, my dad 
looked at me and he, and he just screamed at me. He says, I hate the way you walk. Immediately, I was reduced to sobbing and tears. Man, it was 50 years ago. I'm about ready to cry now. My dad wasn't a monster. Immediately, he realized his mistake and he grabbed me and hugged me and told me how much he loved me. Look at 50 years later. Pain is still there. I remember in high school, I think I was a junior, I asked a cheerleader out to go to the, one of the high school dances, and I was always a gentleman about asking girls out, and I would say, now listen, I, I don't expect an answer right now. You, you have a few days, think about it, talk to your parents, and then we'll get back together, and we'll see, uh, you know, how this goes. Well, it'd been a few days since I asked her, and so I, I, I heard them, they were practicing. I was after a practice one day, and I was walking down the hall of the school, and they were in another hall that was perpendicular to the one that was in. And I was walking down, I thought, well, they were getting ready to wrap up, and I'd go down, and I'd talk to her again about the date. And so I got close to the corner. I could hear them around the side, and they, they stopped their, their cheering. And all of a sudden, I heard this girl say, you know who asked me to the dance? Tokar. Tokar. You know what I'm saying. A knife. Tokar. I quietly retreated. And I never asked another girl out in high school again. Robbing them of the joy and happiness. laugh. But as I tell my stories, you're remembering your stories. And they hurt. And if left unchecked, they can send us down the spiral path of some twisted thinking that is very unhealthy. We can begin to overgeneralize everything in our lives. And we can think, that's always going to happen. That's the way it's always going to turn out for me. No matter where I go, that's going to be my experience. And see, overgeneralizing gives birth to us in perceived rejection. Before we're actually rejected, we're just anticipating it's going to happen. So we just withdraw and, and we, we sink down in our hole and we hide and we isolate ourselves. Leads to personalization. We think, it's all my fault. Why do I drive everyone away? Why, why can't I get anything right? It's all my fault. It's me. It's something terribly wrong with me. Why won't they hire me? They have nothing to do with you. Half of these job postings are just because they have to do it according to their HR manual. They already know who they're going to hire. We personalize. But when it's more intimate relationships, it's even harder. Listen, never forget this. Hurt people hurt people. Those who reject you may be hurting far worse than you have ever hurt. And that's why they're rejecting they often hurt others because it's some kind of a twisted defense mechanism that they embrace to avoid rejection in their own lives. 
if unchecked, it can lead to labeling. What's wrong with me? I'm such a loser. I'm too fat for anybody to love. I'm too incompetent for anybody to hire. I'm too stupid to ever go back to school. And see, what that produces in us is self-rejection. And with each twisted thought, we spiral deeper and deeper and deeper into isolation, into protectionism. We develop ourselves a critical spirit because we're going to attack others before they can attack us. Oftentimes, perfectionism in someone's life is not just a personality trait. Rather, it's a defense mechanism. I'm going to dot every I. I'm crossing every T. I'm not giving anyone any opportunity to, to reject me or criticize me. It often leads to difficulty in, in showing love or, or receiving love from others. Oversensitive, as we already talked about, feeling inferior. Sometimes it leads to, to abject anger and bitterness inside us. If you can identify with what we're talking about today, understand this, that we have a high priest that understands it too. We have a high priest. We have a Savior who was rejected more dramatically than any of us were rejected. He was rejected to the point of torture. He was rejected to the point of death. He was rejected by his own who he had healed, who he had loved who he had left the splendor of heaven to come and to die for. And so God, through the inspiration of his word, Jesus, who is our loving Savior, says to you, says to me today, through his disciple Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him. Cast them on me, Jesus says. Why? Because I care for you. How can you wrap your mind around it today? Jesus, the member of the triune, the omnipotent God, he cares for you. He really does. And I'm going to encourage you this morning to start your healing journey by getting rid of your relationship and getting rid of your religion and engaging in your relationship that Jesus died on the cross to establish. And I'm going to encourage you to accept what God says about you. Do you know how into you God really is? The psalmist knew it. Psalm 139, verse 1 through 10, he says, Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. He says, Lord, you know, you know me. You know when I lay down at night, and you watch me sleeping all night. You know when I get up in the morning. You watch me when I leave for work, when I leave for school. You watch me all day long. Goes on to say, before words on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, you're behind me, you're before me. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. That's true for all of us, but it's especially true for those who are a victim, for those who are captive to the chains of rejection. Finally, that passage says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You know what that says? That says that God knows everything about you. 
Jesus even later says, God knows how many hairs are on your head. And he counts them anew every day. And you know what else he knows? He knows all the things you wished he didn't know. He knows all the things you hope someone else will never find out. He knows them. He knows every one of them. And what's his response? Tells us in Psalm 94, 14. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. When will God reject you? Never. Never. Let me encourage you to begin the healing process by accepting what God says about you. And what does he exactly say about you? Psalm 103.12, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Not fear him and cower in fright, but fear him in love and devotion and dedication. I remember when I was a little boy, my mom used to come in and she'd rub her nose against my nose and then she'd back up and she'd say, Pete, you know how much I love you. And I'd say, no, mommy, how much do you love me? And she, with a big sweeping gesture of her arm, she'd say, I love you this much. And I'd say, oh, mommy, I love you this much. Do you see what God's declaring in Psalm 103? God, from his heavenly vantage point, is looking down at you and me and he says, you know how much I love you? I love you this much and his arm span is greater than any human arm span because it exists from the earth throughout the entire universe. And he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much I love you. He goes on to say, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. One of the things that Satan uses against us is he gets us to feel that God has rejected us because of our sinfulness. And God says, not so. Because if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven for all eternity. And I have parted your transgressions as far as the east is from the west. And if you're a mathematician, you know that if you start two lines out, going one east and west, they will never meet in infinity. He says, that's how far I've parted your transgressions. I don't even remember them anymore. What does he say about you? 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And John, one of his original disciples says, and that is what we are. John 1, 12, yet to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Say it, I'm a child of God. You know, one of the great things about being a a pastor of the same church for many years, is you get to see the children grow up. And many of the children who came, who, who were like older elementary school students now, are, 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 are adults and they have children of their own. And, and oh, I, just, I just love the youth of our church. I really do. But you know who I love the most? I love my children. You know who I love the most? I love my grandson. Why? Because he's mine. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm an imperfect father. And I'm an imperfect grandpa. But there's nothing in this world that I wouldn't do for my kids. 
There is, I would move heaven and earth for my kids. And God, who can move heaven and earth, looks at you and through your relationship with Jesus Christ says, you're mine, you're my child. I'll move heaven and I'll move earth for you because I love you so much. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. What's all that mean? That means not only does God love you, but God has entrusted you. God has given you a title. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what, what your bank book looks like. I don't care what it is. You have been exalted and given a title by God. You are not only his child. He has made you his priest. He has made you his ambassador. And if, if you have a white-collar job, he's given you a white-collar profession so that you can take his word to the white-collar world. If you're a blue-collar worker, God has put you in the blue-collar world so that he can trust you with the most important message that every man and woman on earth needs to hear that Jesus died on the cross and that through him you can have eternal life. That's how much he trusts you. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means it's just going to keep getting better and better. He'll help us through this life. He'll walk through this life. He'll move heaven and earth for us in this life. But in the life to come, he can't wait to get us home because when he gets us home, he is going to lavish his love. He's going to lavish his grace on us. Think about this. The things you're holding on to, the rejection, be it a relationship, be it employment, be it whatever. Think about this. How will that rejection characterize your life when you die? It won't. It'll have no significance whatsoever. So let's not waste this life. See, so many of us think, yeah, in the sweet by and by, and one day I'll be with them. No, no, no. You are not going to someday start your eternal journey. You are now on your eternal journey. Don't waste it by wallowing in rejection and isolating yourself and failing to recognize who God has made you. You are a child of God. Start healing by accepting that about yourself. Put a little note on your note page. And if this is an area that God is speaking to you about today of your life, whether it's the past rejection or it's a current rejection or it's now living in the fear of future rejections, memorize this and say it every time Satan fills you with a rejective thought. I am not going to base how I feel about myself on what they say, but on what he has said about me. Say that with me right now. I am not going to base. Oh, let's try it again. I am not going to base how I feel about myself based on what they say, but on what he says about me. 
about Jonah's his journey from religion to relationship. He isn't interested at all in your religiosity. But he sent his son to die on the cross to have relationship with you. And we don't have a high priest who's disconnected. We have a high priest who knows exactly how we feel. Let's bow our heads. How about you today? Have you been living in the chains of rejection? Have you begun to believe false things about yourself? Accept what God has said about you. Don't base how you feel about yourself on what others say about you. Believe what God says about you. But it all starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never established that personal relationship. You may be religious, but Jesus didn't come to make you religious. Jesus came to establish a relationship with you. A relationship of love, a relationship of adoption into God's family. And the only way that we can enter that relationship is through what Jesus did on the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Maybe you're here today and you've never taken that step in your spiritual journey. You've been living with the hopes that somehow you're going to live a good enough life to earn your way to heaven. Well, if you could do that, if I could do that, Jesus never needed to come. He certainly didn't need to die on the cross. But because I can never earn my way to heaven, because you can never earn your way to heaven, Jesus died. And that's why Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe you're here this morning as every head's bowed and no one's looking around. And you've never trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But right now, you feel the Spirit of God moving in your life saying, this is why I brought you here. I brought you here to give you life to give you life more abundantly. I've come here to adopt you into my family. I've come here to make you my child. And right now, you're willing to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. I won't embarrass you in any way, but if that's your need, right now, would you just slip your hand up? Would you say, Pastor, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior, but I know I need to. Father, from the testimony here today, we've all trusted Christ as our Savior. And what that means is that we're your children. And there's nothing you won't do for your children. And there's nothing we can ever do that you will reject us. God, let us not live in the past with the hurts of our past rejections. Help us not to live in the present with the hurt of our present rejection, nor even in the future for rejections that are sure to come. God, right now, let us rejoice and let us believe and accept who we are in you. And that's pretty special. 
Use us for your glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not going to base how I feel about myself on what they say, but on what he says about me. God bless you.